we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have murdered every trash panda out there. That's right. No. We found a giant trap that trapped every one of them. We used a Snickers bar, and somehow Scott rigged up the world's biggest firework display ever. And unfortunately, well, they went to a different dimension. That dimension collapsed. It blew up. And now you're in the current reality that you now live in. That's right. Scott is to blame for COVID. Because (laughs) that is every trash panda. And that is the power of rolling too many ones in the same night. Yes. Twelve ones in a row. Just (laughs) you you ultimately develop a pandemic. I would like to make the point that I said we shouldn't visit Raccoon City, and Scott was like, no, it sounds like fun. I know. And then he ran in there with glee and happiness. It was like watching, you know, uh, the Augustus run into the giant uh, room in Willy Wonka uh, towards the, the Chocolate River. That's That was exactly what Scott looked like towards, uh, you know, Raccoon City. <laughs> Oh, Scott, please, please forgive us. Please forgive us, Scott. We still love you. So much. You know, that's one of the bad side effects of not being on one of the episodes is things just get pointed your direction. Easy Uh, target and scapegoat. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to change the term to Scott Goat from now on. Scott Goat, not scapegoat. Scott Goat. Um, Yeah, there has been many, many, many jokes. Anyway, so uh, with that said... Uh, now that we're in a new alternate reality and universe, um, the DC, the DC universe, well, no, we can't say DC universe, they'll, they'll sue us. The DCR universe, there we go. There uh, you go. Yeah, it's not the Arrowverse, it's not the DCverse, it's the DCR universe. universe. Uh, this may be the darkest timeline, we're not sure. Yeah, and we're, we're really not. Um, you never know. He might he might find another group of trash pandas and then try to recollapse the, <laughs> the whole thing again and start over. Um, or maybe he'll maybe that's why the bees are disappearing. No, just kidding. Uh, oh my gosh, this episode keeps getting darker. <laughs> I feel like this I need to bring happens. out I need this to bring out a soundboard just to like help the mood come back up. This is what happens <laughs> when more than half of us are tired. Uh, no, uh, so. We've come up with an idea. Uh, we've had a lot of great shows where we've talked about topics about gaming. We've talked about villains. We've talked about heroes. We've talked about monsters. Um, and, and this pertains to more than just gaming, but also in story creation. Uh, we've talked a little bit about everything. And so we're going to take a slow ride. You know, We're, we're going to slow things down. We're going to jump on that lovely boat that goes down the Chocolate River into the tunnel. And Alton is going to take over as Willy Wonka and tell us the story, and we will hopefully not see weird people eating cockroaches and all sorts of other stuff that you see in that tunnel in Willy Wonka. (laughs) Come with me, and you'll be (laughs) in a world of prestidigitation. That's right, friends. Tonight we are talking about our favorite RPG memories. And I'm super excited for it. And it's 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 a good time to be able to just kind of reminisce on some of those things because we talk a lot about the fundamentals of, like Dan was saying, story and gaming and how we got here. But uh, oftentimes we allude to memories and stories and never really go into detail. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this evening. And, and I wanted to start off, you know, um, one of the stories that was... Uh, or one of the one of the sessions that was most impactful to me um, is uh, uh, I, I I was testing a little game called Dimensions back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. It is currently on hiatus, still being worked on. Um, but uh, one of the goals with that was that we were trying to build a game that was good for new players and old players, right? People who have played RPGs over and over again, and people who haven't, and um, if there's one thing that uh, is uh, on, on, on the forefront of every GM's mind when they're sitting down to run a campaign, what's the number one way to ruin a story? Add players. Yeah. <laughs> and so... It's a guarantee. It, it happens every time. 
Oh yeah, and, and and but the thing is, is that in order for it to really feel like an RPG, we wanted to make sure that there were lots of open options for people to be able to go off script and do things that weren't just choose A or choose B, right? And so, uh, in in the very first episode that we put together, it was this haunted house that people were navigating through, and I wanted to make sure to add some really fun atmospheric stuff, and. Uh, every time that people have played it, it's always turned out very, very differently. But one of the things that I wanted is uh, as you enter the main house, you have this big grand stairway up to the second floor. It's this huge open atrium. And up at the top, you see, you know, light streaming in from two glass doors. And so I had a group of players go up to that second level, open up the doors. And uh, the way that I'd originally built it, it was just this nice stone balcony out overlooking you know, the uh, rolling hills behind the estate. And off in the distance, you see a glittering silver lake. And, and it was just really pretty and atmospheric, right? And one of the players goes, well, do I have rope? And I'm, yeah, you've got rope. Well, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, tie the rope and jump over the edge. Well, I don't have anything built for the outside of the house, but let's see what happens. So I try to scare him right back up the rope by, oh, hey, look, now the, the, the ghost that started to chase you in at the beginning starts to come around the corner. It's a dragon. And everyone's, and, and everyone, of course, my thought is if I've got a dragon coming around the corner, people are probably going to climb back up the rope. But instead, right. everybody else decides to jump over and they all get on the rope as the dragon is fire breathing. Uh, so naturally they all fall to the ground and decide that they want to fight the dragon. And, and again, this is a group of people who have never played role-playing games before. So they don't have the concept of, I am a first level character. I, I don't have special abilities. I don't have things that are going to equip me for this fight, but they all decide to take it on. Well, one of the other players says, if there's a little bit of rope left, I'd like to try to jump up and grab it. Okay. And he somehow rolls perfectly, succeeds, grabs the jump, starts to climb back up as everybody else is literally running around the outside of the property being chased by this dragon. And we choose to side quest and follow his adventure for a minute. He goes in, finds a bedroom, grabs a whole bunch of pillows and sheets and comes back out and throws them down at the bottom and just jumps over so he can land. Anyway... They take all of these pillows and sheets and all the nine yards and decide that they're going to try to defeat this ghost dragon. Um, and I just don't have the heart to tell them that anything is not possible because that's a fundamental breaking of good role play. So they go for it. Um, two of them die, but somehow they get through. And I finally just hit a point where I'm like, they chase you back into the house. Okay, well, whatever. So we let the other two characters reappear back inside and the guy goes and and i think that that's about the end of it right so they keep moving through the house they get down and they're getting ready to fight the big baddie and uh, it plays out in a really interesting way that their weapons are all starting to break and whatnot and the guy goes i still have a towel right what are you talking that's very, about that's very hitchhiker's guide He's like, yeah, when I was up in the bedroom, you had said that there were like pillows and sheets and like an old towel and some clothes on the floor. And I told you I picked those up. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to use the towel and I want to hang this guy. And I'm like, what has happened? <laughs> this whole thing just first off, uh, brand new players, right? Decide they want to take on a ghost dragon that was never meant to be fought. So, okay, we got them out of that trouble. I let them respawn. Now they're going through the house. And now all of a sudden we're turning into the worst of all the mur murder hobos. Like it was just the weirdest, craziest thing. And I have always tried to chase that feeling since um, <laughs> I redesigned the level a little bit to help dissuade players from trying to do such absurdity and did code in some options to make sure that if somebody did get too far off the beaten path, there would be consequences. Um, but nevertheless, I, I will always remember the person who, after having established multiple times that they were working outside of the rules, still decided that they wanted to strangle the boss with a towel. But see, this is the fantastic thing about the game. It gives you giant delusions of grandeur. 
I mean, oh, yeah. you know, when when Han Solo says, "Well, now everyone has delusions of grandeur," he's really talking about people de- playing role playing or D and D or whatever uh, RPG game they're playing because that's really what it's like. It's like I'm this hero now. I can do anything. Roll your dice. I got a five. What does that give me? Oh, you're still level one. That's a six. I mean, it, it they just think they can accomplish anything. Um, or on but, the opposite side, go ahead and roll your dice. Oh, you got a 20? Um, roll again. Oh, you yeah. got another 20. Well, I guess you can do anything. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but at the okay. same time, you know, at the same time, we get caught in that. You know, I remember playing Skyrim for the very first time. Um, not to, to move away, but I mean, it's, it's an RPG, but you know, playing Skyrim for the very first time as you're, you're starting out with your really low level character, you get to fight that very first dragon. It's not super tough. It's really easy. You kill the dragon. You're like filling like a million bucks. I killed this dragon. I'm wandering down and there's a giant down there. I'm like, no problem. I just killed a dragon. I walk up, I swat, you know, the the giant with my sword twice the giant gets annoyed turns around and hits me with its club i go flying 60 feet through the air backwards and drop to the ground dead i'm like i'm humbled <laughs> i get it <laughs> um so, and so sometimes crumbs. your your players need that they need that humility uh because they, they feel immortal and they need to get the crap out of them sometimes it's truth so that leads to a pretty natural segue krebs what is your favorite crit success or crit failure from a campaign? Um, oh gosh, uh, there are. Oh, uh, there was one time I was running. Uh, I have several. I have several, and I'm sure you guys do too. But I, there was one time I was running a. Uh, I was running a dead rain campaign, and there was a character who was incredibly agile. He actually was a circus performer. And so he was skilled with like um, gymnastics, acrobatics, and even sword dancing. Even though he was a performer, he was pretty proficient with the blade. But he was stuck in this, um, it was either like an RV or a trailer. And uh, there was a Zed in there with him at close proximity. And he didn't have any of his weapons. I think it was an RV because he found a roadside emergency kit nearby and very quickly um, he like grabbed it by the handle and just yoinked it open and there was a road flare. He grabs the road flare, strikes it hot just as the zombie is coming for him. He's able to parry the zombie's attack and then with a natural 20 runs the flare into the Zed's eye into the skull and just boils the brain thus destroying the zed uh i had when i was running a star wars campaign i had this uh group of jedi that were i made i think i've mentioned this campaign before but it is is arguably the best campaign i've ever run in my life uh where we had this ragtag group of jedi brought in from all over the universe um and they're all you know padawans pre-knights that sort of thing um and and they're they're following visions that they're all having to take down a group of secret Sith, a group of Sith, not just two. And uh, they end up on a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They, uh, on a um, tribal uh, sort of like, uh, I'm I'm trying to find the right word, but they end up on a more um, pre-technology type planet. I cannot think of the word. So something kind of like Dathomir or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if it actually was Dathomir. It's been so long I don't remember if I chose that planet, but it's something like that. And they end up on this planet. They um, encounter uh, this terrible creature in this pyramid-like structure, Uh, but it ends up that it's a Sith Force illusion. And these acolytes, these tribal acolytes that are there, uh, they are behind, they're physically behind the illusion. One of my Jedi who always he just he Leroy's every single time. And so he runs in there all Leroy Jenkins style and he goes to attack this giant creature, not realizing it's an illusion, slashes through it with his lightsaber, runs through it with his body, realizes that he's behind the illusion where there are three Sith warriors, each with non-lightsaber weapons, but uh, made of a material that can deflect lightsaber blades. And um, one of them has a whip 
made of that material where it's basically a series of links of this strange metal, all very thorned, all very sharp. And with a natural 20 on my side of the table, uh, he ends up whipping this young Jedi's wrist together, uh, lashing his hands together and him dropping his saber. And then with, uh, with a flick of the whip causes it to unro- uh, unravel along his wrist like a chainsaw and both and both his hands pop off and so he ends up with no hands for the next three months even though we got him some cybernetic actually some genetically grown replacements even though we got him uh to a place where he could still play his character and stuff no matter what happened at some point in the game we would turn to someone and be like, could someone give Trevor a hand? Or we would say, because that was the player's <laughs> name, not the character's name. And and doesn't matter. Anytime he did anything cool, I'm like, oh, high five. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. And, and we would just throw in all sorts of hand jokes the, the rest of the time. And it ended up being hilarious. I love it. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Is you see, you see stuff like this all the time. Improvisation is is a team sport, right? <laughs> Of like things go right, things go wrong, things go funky, and then it turns into a beautiful joke down the road. And um, it's actually kind of funny. One of my all-time favorite magic items from Dungeons and Dragons is the immovable rod. And have I told <laughs> you guys about the Draco Lich? Yes, but tell us again. Okay, so there are many, many uses for an immovable rod, everyone. For those of you who have not used one before, they are a wondrous magic item. You are very lucky if a DM gives you one over the course of a game. If for any reason you are able to get two or more, absolutely do. All they are is a little, uh, about a foot long uh, rod, looks like it's made of iron, with a button in the middle of it. And whoever presses the button freezes that rod in time and space. It anchors it perfectly, um, such that it cannot be moved until the person who pressed the button unpresses it or they die. Um, and even the or they, or they die part is technically speaking uh, more homebrew to help dungeon masters. But nevertheless, we're running through this dungeon. We're just right at the start of our campaign. And uh, the whole point of it was for us to see the big bad evil guy get scared away. Right. And we're trying to escape with this bit of treasure that we ought not have taken. And uh, the Dracolich, his Dracolich comes through gigantic, draconic, skeletal, nasty thing. Right. We're running across this bridge and this gigantic Dracolich sticks its head through. Now, it is almost as big as any of us. Its head is. Um, but in a moment of quick thinking, I grab my immovable rod and I shove it up its nose up into the cavity of the skull and i <laughs> click the button and and the dm goes okay well i guess you know roll roll dexterity check or i don't remember specifically what it was an athletics check i think okay yeah i got it perfect okay well yep it's uh it's stuck there and it's starting to thrash around and so i grab my other one out and i go well i'm gonna shove it up the other one and so I do, and he makes me roll, and yep, I succeed again. Okay, well, that Dracolich is now very firmly pinned. My rogue jumps out over the side, goes down, gets to the Dracolich's phylactery, and we began our big, big, huge campaign that we were supposed to be starting at, like, level, I think it was level five or six, and now we have control of a Dracolich. It was a <laughs> beautiful, beautiful thing, um, and I just... Yeah, I, I cannot speak highly enough about immovable rods, but I also love it when a plan comes together in the moment. What's another great example of an item or a weapon or something that you've seen that was used, not in the way that it was intended, but to beautiful results? So I'm gonna, I, I played in a charity game. I played an old sea dog named Cod. I had a very, very long beard. Um, I didn't believe in cutting my hair, my guy, you know, he'd been out at sea quite often and he was going a little bald on top and he'd wrap his beard up around his head, sometimes shove it in his ears so he didn't have to hear sirens, stuff like that. Well, during this campaign, I love this beard so much. Um, we got to this part where we could, we could ask for any magical enchantment. 
and it would be granted to us. So my character asked that his beard be enchanted so that it could never break. It was it would become indestructible. Which I thought was awesome. <laughs> you know, everyone else is like, why the crap did you just waste this? You could have wished for anything and you indestructible beard? What? Um, excuse this, me, everybody. I I, it was long. <laughs> I mean, my beard went, you know, my guy was, I think he was like five, six, five, seven, but my beard went all the way to the ground and, and a little bit beyond that. So, um, uh, so we get to this point, we have this magic ship that is flying through the air. It's this cold region, and we have this massive horde of harpies that are flying at us. Now, I fight with a giant battle axe, and uh, my buddy, uh, you, know, I ha- you know, I'm old. I have this other guy. Um, I, think, I think his name was M. Elm? I can't remember his, his name exactly. But all I remember is... I fling my beard back and I launch myself over the side of the boat and yell, grab me beard. And so he grabs a hold of my beard and I'm just spinning <laughs> like this circle and my axe is out and I'm just hacking through these harpies. Because <laughs> my beard is indestructible. My chin's up and I'm just spinning around at the bottom of the boat, just mowing through these harpies. And, and then, you know, he pulls me up and the DM just looks at me and goes, that really happened. I'm like, yep. And he's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's like, 1,200 experience points right there. And I'm just like, yep. <laughs> you know, because that was, you know, it, it was nothing. It was just an enchanted beard, but it was indestructible. So I had no care, worries and, you know, cares or worries in the world that that would break. I, as long as he held tight, I was safe. Uh, you know, it's something unusual that no one would think of, but it, I turned it into something extremely useful in that moment. And nobody made fun of your indestructible beard ever again. Yeah. The only problem is, is uh, by the end of that campaign, we all got, uh, these, uh, really nasty pixie elves things turned us into, uh, infants. So I'm like four now <laughs> with this massive beard. that's indestructible, massive indestructible beard, <laughs> but I'm four. Oh, man. (laughs) Speaking of enchantments and items that are impervious uh, to the game, um, uh, recently we've started hosting Adventurers League over at Mythos, and, um, you know, we're having just lots of little intro games and things like that. And so I pulled up to the table with a randomly generated character, and, uh, and, and we start to make our way through this dungeon, and the rogue that had been playing with us needed to leave. And so I was like, okay, well, well, I guess I'll just start checking for traps then. And the DM's like, what, what do you mean? You're an artificer. I'm like, I, I know, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll get this taken care of. And uh, so I'm playing this Stormforged artificer, big automata guy, right? And so I, I turn over to the gnome bard and I say uh, something to the effect of, you know, uh, uh, bard, come here show me what you've got. And I pick him up and I throw him down the hall, <laughs> tripping all of the traps. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he wasn't particularly happy about it. Um, but I, uh, because of the way that my character was built, I had cure light wounds. And so as soon as he made his way back up the stairs, you know, I, I offered my hand to him and I, and I said, you know, uh, we must be friends, right? Something to the effect. I don't particularly recall. And so he shakes my hand and regains a whole bunch of hit points. And he goes, huh, okay, that was nice. And I said, sweet, what's over there? Boom. And the DM's like, okay, you got to make an opposed strength check. I'm like, deal, let's do it. Little teeny tiny gnome, he happened to be min-maxed so that he had no strength. And I happened to have strength as my highest. And I chucked him down the second hallway. It became a recurring (laughs) gag for the rest of the night. And uh, when the player didn't come back, the next week it's okay he's a friend of mine he wasn't offended he got the joke um but when he didn't come back next week the uh, dm decided to award me a uh, special magical item that was a uh, uh, a gnome dart a gnome dart it was nice. beautiful so then i got to actively use it um however at leveling up as uh, an artificer 
I got to uh, have a limited number of enchantments on items that I controlled, one of which could be returning, which means that if you have a ranged, a ranged weapon, you can throw it and it will return to you at your command instead of needing to go and pick it up or anything like that. And so after the DM has said that I have this known dart, I'm like, okay, well, you know, what are, what are the stats? How do you want me to set it up? And he says, well, basically just treat it like a dagger. I'm like, okay, so would you consider this a martial weapon, like a thrown weapon that I can use? And he says, yeah, that's exactly what I had in mind. Like, awesome. And I just sit back and go real quiet to the end of the night. And then sure enough, there comes a point where it is time. And I take my gnome dart and I just start throwing him and calling him back and throwing him and calling him back, (laughs) tripping all the things, getting the bad guys pissed off. They've got this uncrossable chasm and the people who are also in the party with me are going way too slow. And so I'm like, I'll I'll just check this out. And so now I have a gnome dart. It is uh, one of my favorite companions. Very nice. Yeah. It's interesting how people can use magic items uh, in different ways. It's even more amazing when magic items just things that the the role of a dice just happens to coincide. If you've never heard the Wubba Wubba story from R.A. Salvatore, look it up uh, on on YouTube. I'll recap it a little bit, but um it's something that he we he talked about on the show a long time ago and he's talked at, about it at several conventions but he's gamed i mean Ari Salvatore's game for years a lot of these writers have but he played this gnome character that had this magic wand that the activation uh were or phrase for it was wubba wubba and whenever he did that. There was a table that was rolled. It was kind of a wild magic type one that random things would happen. However, throughout this entire campaign, for some reason, every time he would yell wubba wubba, this one player's character always was the result, always got the, the end result of whatever happened. Time and time again. So there's this one point uh in the adventure where you know he he he's got to float up to do whatever he needs to and someone's like oh well you know just in case you fall to your death maybe you should leave all your items behind just so we can you know we don't lose those he's like okay so he kind of strips down to his bare clothes attaches starts floating up well something happens and he falls he starts falling he's plummeting to his death and so this player's like Now's my chance. He picks up the wand, yells wubba wubba, and points it at him. Rolls the dice. And then he calls out the number, and the DM starts laughing. And he's like, what? And it's like, you just rolled. Caster replaces uh, replaces with target. And so his character zaps up and plummets <laughs> to his death. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's things like that that make the game amazing. You know, and that's totally random. But for some reason, this character was always picked on by this item. And yes, it's not a real item. It's something fictitious. It's imaginary and it's in a game. But for some reason, in these games and campaigns and adventures, they take on a life of their own uh, within everyone's imagination collectively. And it's like for a moment, and only when you're sitting at that table some of those items really have a life and they do things weird and in unexpected ways. The idea that something mundane instead becomes something very important to the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Krebs, do you have anything like that? Any mundane item or person or passing notion from a GM that turned into something uh, too important to pass up again? Yeah. um, I, I have two stories and I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, in terms of like taking the mundane and using it in ways other than uh, one, uh, my, my older brother is uh, he he loves the Wheel of Time series and he got me to be a fan of it as well. And he had the Wheel of Time uh, D20 RPG and I did what I normally do when I played um, a strong, somewhat charismatic, maybe not the most intelligent type fighter. Uh, for those of you familiar with Wheel of Time, I was a Shinaran. And 
uh, of course, I love me some swordplay. So I have this really nice uh, Shinaran sword. This It's actually like a warder's weapon. Again, for the fans who, who know the story, you know what that means. Um, but basically think like a katana with an English-style hilt, basically. Um, and uh, we were in this fight. Of all the characters in the group, I am the most capable when fighting uh, sort of like these these dark demonic creatures called Trollocs. And we were in this fight. It got really bad. And we were at the raggedy edge. Uh, it, some of us were very close to death, including myself. I was getting real weak. And it was we were getting dangerously close to a uh, total party kill, a TPK. And it's my turn. And I'm uh, if I don't do something meaningful, then the tide will not turn. And one or more of us are going to die. And so it comes to me, I'm in a terrible situation, and I I, I just kind of sit there and think for a second. I go, I throw my sword. Now, this is a large sword. It is not a throwing weapon. I am a strong guy in, in the game, but this is not meant to be thrown. There are penalties that are applied. And so uh, my brother goes, are you sure this is what you want to do? It's like your only weapon. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to throw my sword. And so he goes, okay, uh, here are the penalties. Here are the factors and roll the die. And so I describe how I reach up both hands in a, in a two-handed grip, my, my large strength stat flexing in my arms to the best of my ability, blood running out, and I hurl it over my head like an axe. And I roll the die and I hit a 20. And this game allows for exploding 20. So I grab the die and I roll again. And sure enough, I hit a second crit. So this giant sword, this large sword, not giant, but large sword, goes hurling through the air like a giant deadly boomerang, and it strikes the Trolloc directly in a vital spot, killing it on the spot. And thus, having seen this, my party is um, encouraged, and, and they're given hope, and they, everybody gets like a temporary attack buff, and then we all rally, and we take out the rest of the bad guys, even though some of us are near death. This buys us time to get healed, to run away, and the party lives to fight another day. The best part about this, though, was that it became my signature move, and in five other situ well, four other situations, four other situations where things started looking terrible. I turned to my brother and I go, I throw my sword. And he goes, oh, here we go. And um, I eventually took feats that made it so that throwing my sword was more tenable. It was actually an ability I was developing. And, and so I actually saved myself or the party on four other occasions by doing something I shouldn't have done. And then, of course, the real punchline drops when on the sixth time I tried this, uh, I hit an invisible shield that I could not see because I do not wield the one power. And uh, I now lost my sword and now I was hosed. But he let me do it successfully five times. And it it, it became, in fact, we, we it got to the point where like the, the party, we would be in a situation and it wouldn't even be that bad a situation. It would just be an enemy at a distance. And then the party would like, look at me and be like, Josh, what do you think? And I was like, hmm. Yeah, I'll throw my sword. And so it just like it, it became this thing. Um, so that that was I mean, that that's that's a small thing to do with a rather ordinary item, but it ended up becoming a signature move and it became hilarious. Um, the other the other story is when I was GMing that same Star Wars game I told you about the character who lost his hands before that happened. Um, he had encountered an NPC that had these force-imbued items that had special qualities. Of course, everything was very mysterious and covert in its presentation. He had to kind of discover the nature of these things. Uh, but when he did, uh, the 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 old crone told him, you may only uh, – here are my wares, and there weren't that many, but you may only uh, – the rule is you can have but one. And she made it was at, it was at this bazaar at like this flea market, and uh, and he followed the rules. But then he tried to circumvent them. He would like he tried to buy another one, and she absolutely refused. And he couldn't get past her. She was surprisingly and and curiously quick and things like that. So he walked away, and inappropriately using his force powers, he used Jedi mind trick on a passerby gave them instructions to go and purchase an item from this woman. He just said he gave her, he gave this person, this other NPC credits and said, go buy something from that woman over there. And 
this is one of those moments we have talked about the rules of gameplay and this is one of those moments where the player is trying to outwit the gm or the player is trying to beat the gm and of course i wasn't going to have it so i looked at him and i go okay and then i let him roll dice and and let him think that he has choice in the matter and he sends the npc npc comes back carrying some large object um some large bell-shaped object that's under a tarp and a couple of books uh, and, and some other items in a bag. And he hands the large object under a covering and the bag to the player. The player opens up the covering and it's this cage with a small furry animal inside. And then in the bag, there are certain items, which he immediately dismisses. What he doesn't know is that I have just sold him a creature of my own creation completely on the fly. And I called it a Malkavian hamster. <laughs> Malkavian hamsters can eat virtually anything, but they have almost instantaneous bioorganic reactions to whatever they eat. You can weaponize a Malkavian hamster. Swarms of Malkavian hamsters have destroyed planets. This is the kind of thing that like, he has no idea. He doesn't know, but there are two books inside that bag. One of them is um, The Apocalypse, The End of the World. Oh, no, no, it was The Apocalypse, Malkavian Hamsters, and You. And then uh, the other one was um, Malkavian hamsters as a pet, a survival guide. And so like it was it was all this like uh, very funny stuff. He didn't know what this thing would do. And to be honest with you, neither did I. But as time went on, he discovered that if he fed it certain foods, it would turn into a reusable flash grenade, essentially blowing all of its hair off in a giant flash. And then it would grow back in the next hour or so. Um, or if he fed it the wrong stuff, it would get literally explosive diarrhea and so um he found ways to weaponize the the hamster when he lost his hands the hamster burrowed out of its cage because it wasn't in the right kind of material and it ate its way out found his hands in the freezer and ate one which oh. allowed it to turn into a temporary prosthetic appendage still still very much a hamster but it became more mitten shaped and it like grabbed onto the stump of his wrist forming a physical and a psychic bond that allowed him to have a temporary hand until we could get him a real one <laughs> so it was just it ended up being very deus ex machina and i get that but but um the malkavian hamster became like this hilarious gag on the side and it also taught him never to try to outwit me again <laughs> okay, so that's one that I'm going to have to remember and use. I like that a lot. Uh, one of my one of my fun things that I do with players once they start to get into dungeons is give them mimics of many uses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, and I, exactly that same idea. But I like I like a lot of that a lot. I've ha I haven't thought about taking it down the what do I feed them route. Okay. I can dig it. I can dig it. We ended up doing some pretty crazy random stuff, but I also had to come up with like certain physical gestures that mimicked the hamster and also the sound whenever he didn't feel well. It was like, and just like we had to like, we had like all these little things that we would do. Some of the other people would then start making sounds for the hamster on my behalf. It became this whole gag. I love it. Yeah. One of the things that's been uh, uh, a lot of fun for me with players who do try to circumvent rules like that. Um, uh, I, I try very hard to always allow there to be a way to allow people to do the things that they want to do. But just like any good genie's wish, oftentimes there may be unexpected ramifications. Um, and, and it's a good time, you know. Uh, one of the uh, fun things that I like to do in Strahd is I like to show players how they're going to die. And the way that I'll do that is by giving them a doll of themselves, you know, grasp, grasping at their heart or their hand on the side of the head or things like that. And then the uh, the longer that they survive, the more animated the doll becomes. But only they see it, right? Only they are the ones that get to interact with it. And it just ends up being a really, really fun thing. What are some of the other uh, stories that you guys have from situations where events were foreshadowed in a neat way? Hmm. For, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of some right at the moment. Um, 
Because I, when I've played as a player, I haven't had a lot of DMs that have done foreshadowing. It's been a pretty straight, hey, this is this is what's going on. This is here and there. Um, and when I've ran one-offs, I don't really do that. I'm just trying to think, when did I do some foreshadowing? I know I have. I just can't think of a moment at the moment. Um, do you mind oh, if I throw one in there? Oh, no, yeah, no, you no, go no, in. You, you go. You go. I, I still don't have one yet. So you go, and then I'm sure one will come to mind as you're talking. Uh, my, that same older brother that played Wheel of Time, there was a point where he wanted to play Rifts, um, you know, my, my arena there, um, and he had never really played it before, and so I was like, okay. And um, this was before the Born Identity came out in movie theaters. In fact, it was just before, and I hadn't seen a trailer or anything. So just keep that in mind. Um, I came up with this idea, and I I wrote, I built his character sheet, and I gave it to him. And it was, it had just like the 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 essential vitals, but most of the sheet was blank. And when we start the story, I say. You wake up in a in a dirt bottomed basement. You are wearing traveling clothes, mostly made of denim or leather. Uh, they feel comfortable enough, but unfamiliar. As you go to sit up, you feel that there are that there are obviously wounded parts of your body, bruised and battered. And then, as he inspects his body, I describe every wound, every bruise, every tender place. He finds that there are like these strange circles at the crooks of his elbows on both arms. There's one circle on each arm. He finds that his head has a certain bruising pattern across his temples and across right down the center of his forehead, and things of this nature. Not just bruises and injuries, but patterns and specifics. I show him a diagram after we describe all the wounds. I show him a diagram of his body and, and where all the injuries are and what shapes they take. Uh, as the story progresses, he realizes he has amnesia. And I did this because he'd never played the game. And I figured the best way for him to discover the world was to play a character who was discovering the world. And so I gave him amnesia. But unbeknownst to him, he is a highly trained assassin, again, pre-born identity, just saying, highly trained assassin who is reflexively responding to the stimuli in the world. Um, he knows how to handle a weapon. He knows how to do uh, specific kinds of hand-to-hand -hand combat. He doesn't realize how destructive he is. He doesn't realize how trained to kill he is. Uh, as time goes on, what he discovers as the story unfolds is that he was um, – sort of mutinied against by his number one in his platoon. He he is part of a military unit of assassins. Uh, he was mutinied by his, uh, by his team, kidnapped, rendered helpless, strapped to a chair, and his body injected with a prototype liquid armor. Think Venom style in a way, but it's armor mm. when it comes out to the skin, uh, which he discovers over time. He also discovers its shortcomings and its strengths. Uh, and in that process, they wiped his mind using technology. They actually like gave him intentionally amnesia and they used him as a vessel for this contraband that they were going to sell to an alien faction. He was he was a container. And uh, but in discovering this, he found out how to use the armor. And the foreshadowing part is every wound on his body told the story of how this got into his body and why he can't remember anything. It also gives him the recipe for how to get all of his memories back. Hmm. I can do it. Yeah. Dan. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I did remember one while you're talking. So go for it, please. Go right. for it. So it was a one-off adventure that I did, um, which ended up being not a one-off. It actually ended up being more because people liked it. So basically when we, we put it together. I had them drop a level 10 character, and I said, you can have anything you want. You can have whatever equipment you want. You Whatever magic stuff, you name it, you put it on there, it's yours. So they did that, and they said, so I started the adventure off. We're in this massive cave. They were just slogging through hordes of demons and everything imaginable that was horrible. And then they get to the, the very end, and there's this massive, massive dragon that is super powerful. They're trying to fight it for their lives. They can't get out. The way, the way they came in, 
had, you know, it, there's demons sitting there just waiting for them. Um, we're, we're talking like, you know, pit fiends and Baylors and stuff like that. They, they die. They literally die. Yeah. And they're like, man, that really sucked. I'm like, your characters wake up. You find yourself in an inn. And there's someone pounding at the door. And then they open the door, and there's this old man. And he's like, and he pretty much says, the world is, a, is going to end. I have been told by the gods that you are the ones that will stop this. And he starts describing this dragon and these demons that have been sent uh, by this dark god, and they have to go slay it. And everyone just stops and realizes, holy crap, that's the end of this adventure. And we have to somehow build our characters up to what they were, but do it better to circumvent our own doom. Um, nice. It was it was a really cool uh, series of adventures, but man, it was it was difficult for the players because you know they were having fun, but at the same time, there's this overwhelming, impending doom that's still lingering there after every adventure, like. Are we closer? Are we almost dead? I mean, because they didn't know when, what pieces they were doing that was changing it or making it real. Um, so it made it really int- a very interesting game because every time they had to make a really critical choice, they really stopped and debated about it. There was no like, oh, wait, well, we're just going to go this way because they had to, they were really wanting to avoid the doom, the death. Yeah. Uh, so. I've never ran a, a game like that, quite like that, with players so like, oh crap, and just like, unfortunately, it would kind of stall the game a little bit because they would really evaluate that out. Yeah, but it also gives the players, for the first time that I've ever heard of, permission to meta game, right? Yeah. Like you gave them meta yeah. in the game. Yeah, and so that that's brilliant. I've never even thought of that. That is genius. Yeah, I really, really like that device. I will probably end up stealing it and implementing it at some point. That's okay. I, so, I am a collector of information <laughs> and tor- uh, torture. Techniques. No, it's okay because you, you do have a lot of metagamers. You have people that try to metagame. And when you kind of like pull that wall out and it's mm. like, you know, and, and say, okay, here it is. You have it now. It kind of takes that away in a way. And now... You know, your players, instead of like, oh, I want to be this big, massive guy, I don't care. You know, the Death Knight strolling down, who cares? I'm just going to, I'm going to go after him and (laughs) kill anyone in my way. Instead, they're like, hmm, if I kill him, which path am I going down? If I run away and take the villagers with me, is that changing history? Because they don't know the history that led them to that point. They just know the end point. Uh, So it was lots of fun. I love it. One of the things um, I'm running uh, Curse of Strahd for a group of, oh man, nine players right now. And seven of them have either played or DM'd it before. Um, And so I've given them uh, what I call prescience, where I tell them outright, if you see something that you have seen before, as long as you can work it out in a way that makes sense in character of, I have a feeling or I have had this dream or I was, you know, once encountered an old woman on the side of the road who told me to watch out for, right? Like if ever you want to work it in, you are more than welcome to work it in. But I also warn them that the mists of Barovia are constantly shifting. And oftentimes it's difficult to scry into the future when it's moving like that. Yes. And it makes for a lot of fun. Um, but similarly to one of the things that you did there, one of the other things that I love to bring into campaigns is the idea of a, everybody gets one, meaning when you're creating your character, I want you to choose one thing that you just think is really cool that steps outside of the rules and it needs to serve a purpose for your character, but whatever makes sense, everybody gets one thing. And for some players, they just choose to like bump a stat a little bit more, drop another one, whatever, things like that. Other times they get really into it and use it as a huge character building moment. And I love that too. But one of the uh, one of the favorite things that I've chosen for a character that I played, I played a paladin who um, 
who who grew up in a very wealthy, well-known, well-respected family, went out into the world to study, to become a paladin, to grow his magics and his powers. And um, as he was on his way home, uh, the Nameless One just kind of showed up, said, hey, how's it going? Right. And at first, of course, he was very shocked or whatever. But no, no, no. Please tell me they battle for a golden violin. No, not quite. It's even better than that. <laughs> and he says, he says, no, 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 don't, don't worry. I'm not here for you. Um, in fact, I'm here to help you. And he says, now, the thing is, you're, you're becoming more powerful all the time. I could see you being a powerful enemy, but sometimes it's more helpful to have allies than enemies. And he says, so, you know, if you ever need any help, here's all you need to do. And he gives him a quick little set of words to call out um if he ever wubba needs wubba. help <laughs> Shazam! <laughs> but uh at any rate so the paladin finishes making his journey home and as he crests the hill he sees that um the uh the 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 mansion that he grew up in is on fire that the door has been busted down and that there's signs of struggle and all kinds of things and he, of course, gets very panicked, begins to fight his way in, starts to get really beaten down. And as he turns the corner into the great room, he sees his whole family cowering there under the hand of some people who are about to kill them. Snaps, and the first thing that comes to And the Nameless One appears and saps the life out of all of the people who are attacking the family in the room and heals his family. And he, of course drops down starts to talk to his parents what's going on like what's happening and and the father says son like there's something you need to know our our wealth and our fortunes and our our good repute it's it's come somewhat dishonestly and now it's starting to catch up to us and it turns out that his father and mother have knowingly been part of this uh syndicate for you know generations um that they were hoping to get their son out from it but it turns into this very negative thing and in his anguish, um, he starts to kind of lose it and he saps the life out of his entire family. Of course, the nameless one shows up and says, now, you don't think that magic is just somewhat infinite, right? He says, there are many planes, many corners of the universe. And whenever you take something, whenever you do something, you're taking that from somewhere else. And so I've granted you the gift of healing. And <laughs> so now we have a paladin who is geared as a healer. And my one thing was that as a bonus action, I could heal anybody um, for as many hit points as I wanted to, but it had to come out of my personal hit points permanently. And wow. the only way that I could recharge those hit points was to have a willing creature give them up. I could not trick them. I could not coerce them in any way. They had to know what they were doing and they had to know that they were giving up their life to do so. And it made for a really fun character, but it also created some really cool mechanical bits inside the game. Um, conflict about every time that I'm casting a spell, every time that I'm healing somebody, I know that I'm taking that from somewhere else. Created a really cool character arc to learn that the same was also true every time we do good acts. We're taking power away from the Nameless One and from those who would destroy the planes upon themselves, right? It was a really, really fun thing, but I always love those types of situations where you create things that exist outside of the regular rules of play in such a way that it inspires the story to continue. Well, and I mean, that's kind of the, the amazing thing about this. Um, you know, looking at say D and D forgotten Realms, stuff like that. Uh, Dragonlance even magic is like this infinite source. You just, you can cast spells over and over and over. There's no, there's no real balance but you just created some balance. You know, if you want to do this good deed, there's this negative side on it. You know, it, it's like physics, you know. Uh, you know, Brandon Sanderson does a fantastic job with that. A lot of his magic systems are based around physics. If you're, uh, you know, an 85-pound girl trying to push a 160-pound guy, you're the one that's going to go flying back until you anchor yourself to something that's heavier than him. Um, so I, I, I like that. That's something that's always, I, I love magic. Don't get me wrong, but that's something that's always kind of, I've always wanted to kind of counterbalance. Like even in my writing, 
you know, uh, yes, magic. There, there's there's the power there's the power of creation, but it's limited based on yourself. You know, as you cast it, it drains your your will, so so to say. You know, and that's your reserve to be able to cast the, the these spells uh, through your power. There's also the power of the void. It's darkness. It comes from death and decay and stuff like that. But not only that, creation is an el- is elemental base. So if you're really good at fire, you're not. It takes more energy to do something with water. If you're mm. really good at air, it takes more energy for earth, uh, and vice versa. So. Because I like that balance. There's got to be that balance. So it's not like, man, I can control earth, fire, water, air. No, something's got to be hard for you to do. And you can still do it, but it's just a little bit stronger. Or it takes more effort to do that. Um, So I like that. You know, if you want to heal, it takes from you. And then you have to have someone willingly give you that. that. That's even harder to do. It's a good time. So I know we don't have too much time left. Uh, so the last thing that I think I want to end on is um, with that kind of foundational premise of having something cool that you could balance or that you could change or that you could add to a character. What is a mechanic that either of you would love to have in a future character, either that is fixing an existing one or something that exists outside of the rules? Oh, gosh, dang, that is hard. <laughs> um, I The funny thing is I think I've done that several times in div- in various incarnations um i we were discussing this before the show and um i am the kind of gm that almost never runs a module I, i've run a few modules in my day but not many because i i prefer to tell as as alton instructs us at the end of every episode i like to tell my story whatever it may be uh and so i have often gone back and addressed mechanics that weren't fun at the time Sometimes we go back to those mechanics, um, but I've I often break the rules because it it makes the game fun if we do it a certain way. Uh, <clears throat> but you know there is um in in rifts oh surprise surprise in rifts uh, there is let let me back up a step uh, the Avengers films I love them in general love them all enjoy them all uh, some more than others but I love them. Captain Marvel is a super cool character to me, except I think she breaks everything. I think she breaks absolutely everything because she's too much. And it has nothing to do with her gender. It has to do with her power set. And the fact that, um, you know, we, we discussed this previously, but like her weakness is immature emotions, right? Yeah. Like not just a I, – I don't, I don't think I phrased it this way last time, but it's not just emotions. I mean emotions are real and, and useful. Even Tony Stark uses emotions yeah. to his advantage or his weakness, whatever. But like her immaturity is her weakness. Yeah. Um, but then that's it. And then what does she uh, – spoilers, guys, spoilers. What does she do? When something gets tough, she flies like a bullet through other spaceships, bringing them down single-handedly. Thanos, who defeated the Hulk in hand-to-hand combat – headbutts her with great force and she doesn't even flinch in my opinion she's too op now the reason i bring up that example in rifts there is a dimension book i think uh, technically i think it's a source book but um there is a, a book called phase world which has some of the best toys in the game but there's a companion to it and in that companion there is a type of character called a cosmonite and the cosmonite is captain marvel uh, they fly through space. They have uh, sort of like psionically summoned armor that comes onto their body. They even – some of them are drawn with mohawks in space. I mean it's, it's <laughs> that it's that on the nose, right? And they are, for all intents and purposes, virtually indestructible, virtually limitless in power. I mean there might be some things at the end there, some things at the fringe, but they are, they are meant for cosmic space battles against – spaceships this is before the movie this was this was like a decade and a half before the movie ever came out so keep that in mind but um like they were designed to be able to take on uh starship armadas single-handedly so they have insane amounts of of hit, hit points and armor they have insane capabilities and it's just too broken so one time as an experiment i introduced a godlike character into the game that 
uh, after uh, a, a scrimmage of, of combat with this godlike character. It was the only thing I could come up with that could make a cosmonite actually feel less than indestructible. And this uh, godlike creature was able to kick off an incantation and then hit the cosmonite that made them mortal for a, a short period of time, made them mortal for like 24 hours or something. And then the godlike creature stepped away, but much like the nameless one started pulling strings and every bad thing that could show up started showing up around this cosmonite and threatening their life because now they were completely destructible. So in answer to your question, um, is there a mechanic that that you know we wish we could change or whatever? I love the concept of the Cosmonite, but I hate how indestructible and how invulnerable they are. I would like to fix that so that regular player character type models are never undefeatable. Nice. No, I mean for my my the character I've wanted to play for quite a while, um, and it's tweaking and changing the standard of the character. Uh, basically, I want to play. A vampire assassin. Now, the however, this vampire has sworn that it would never take drink. It would never take a life by drinking their blood. Uh, so he's more of a psychic vampire. So he feeds off of their fear and, and stuff like that psychically. Um, but he won't take the life of innocence. He he hunts down the, those evil doers, um, feeding off their fear as he's hunting them down and does it. Like indiscriminately, so I mean a little kind of vampire hunter D ish a bit, but uh, minus the blood drinking part, uh, because I want something challenging. I want something a little bit different because you know he's not always going to be able to feed. Uh, you know he it, he can't feed the entire time until he gets his you know reaches his the person he's contracted to take out. Um, and even then, he doesn't drink their blood. He kills them with swords, stuff like that. But it's the fear that he basks in. And so this whole time, he's struggling with this hunger. And, you know, it would be really easy to go scare someone, feed off of them. But he refuses. The only person he will feed off of is his victim that he is contractually bound to kill. And if he doesn't get a contract, he starves until he gets it one. And so, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like, you know, any other job, you know, uh, you, know you, you can't buy food until you get paid type thing. So I think it would be fun. It'd be really challenging and unique in a way. Um, but I've just never found the right game setting to play it in. I can dig it. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, before I wrap up my piece here, uh, Krebs, right? You say you want to fix the Cosmonite if you had some assistance in doing that so that you could test it in a play setting, is that something in which you'd be interested? Absolutely. Of course. I love play testing. Well, then I have excellent news for both of you. And this is something that was not planned or scripted beforehand, but I would very much like to DM a game with both of you. And if those are the one things that you would like to bring to the table, I would very much like to help you work them in, in a way that will be meaningful to the story. Do you find these terms amenable? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, we could do it. I think we could do it. It'd be really interesting. A psychic vampire assassin with a cosmonite. Then I will allow that to trail out into the universe and let all of the dungeon crawlers who are listening right now get excited about what could come very soon. I, 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 I totally can see myself jumping on your back and riding you through space. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is in Rifts, and, and of course, no shocker, right? But Psy uh, Vampires, a very real thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, that's partially where the, the idea came from. But um, that would be a really cool, you know, if our the characters teamed up. Like, he just jumps on the back, holds onto the scruff of your neck or the armor, and you zip in, and he just jumps off and sword in hand. Yeah, I think that could be a really cool maneuver. We could improve the gnome dart. Yes. yes. <laughs> it is a perfect weapon. It cannot be. Yes. Well, we're out of time. As always, we've been able to pull a rabbit out of our hat, unlike Bullwinkle. And Rocky, uh, for those of you that didn't even know that reference, yeah, kudos to you. Most people don't. Um, but, yeah, no, this, is, this has been a great show. Uh, if you have any ideas, any thoughts about what we've talked about, we definitely want to hear from you. Uh, you know, we put it out there to the internet, to the universe. 
uh, to hear back from you. Not a lot of people have taken that opportunity. I know in the past we used to get people uh, take that opportunity. We would lo- we would love to hear from you. And there might be an opportunity in the future that you know that might give you something other than just hearing your name on the show. You might you might be getting something in return randomly if you are chosen. But uh, definitely let us know your stories. Let us know things you want to hear about, what you'd like us to talk about, because we can definitely talk about games, writing, geek stuff, till the sun c- comes to- comes up and the moon goes down, and whatever you want to call it. I am now officially tired and can't think straight. So uh, with that said, I'm going to say we're out of here. We'll catch you next time. And friends, tell your story, whatever may come. And always remember to be epic and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. Thank <laughs> you.